Welcome back to the I'm Book Podcast. This is episode 59, and today we have Dr. Angela E. Loria, who is the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the Difference Process for writing a book that matters. She has quite a number of impressive credentials. In 2018, the Author Incubator was ranked number 275 on the Inc. 500 Fastest Growing Companies and number 60 on Entrepreneur Magazine's Entrepreneur 360. She won the Stevie Awards Coach Mentor of the Year Award, and her program, The Author's Way, was named Coaching Program of the Year. She is an amazing, amazing businesswoman. She has a lot of great wisdom to share, and she's been helping people become authors for decades. So you're going to want to hear what she has to share today. We go into a lot about writing, publishing, getting a book out there, biggest mistakes, and so much more. Let's hop on in and hear what Dr. Angela has to share with us today. Let's get started. But hold on, before we get started, if you haven't done this yet, I encourage you to stop what you're doing, stop this recording, and go over to O'LearyPublishing.com right now to pick up your free copy of The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing, where we help you learn how to craft your book, share your message, cultivate your community, and build your brand. So if you're a professional, if you're an aspiring speaker, if you're someone who has just had an idea and you're not quite sure how to get it out into a book format, we encourage you to download The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing right now at O'LearyPublishing.com. Go get it. I dare you. Welcome back to the I'm Book Podcast. I'm April O'Leary with O'Leary Publishing, and I am so excited. Today, we have Dr. Angela, who's the founder of the Author Incubator, on with us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we were just talking about all the different types of writers that are out there and processes for writing and fiction and nonfiction and all of that kind of stuff. And so we're going to touch on a little bit of building your brand and about writing nonfiction. And so you've come up with a process to help business owners write effective books quickly, I understand. And so let's talk a little bit about that because I think most people feel like writing a book has to take years and years of time and tons of effort and hours of agony. How can you simplify the process for people? Well, I think it all comes down to what is the purpose of the book. So if you were trying to win the Man Booker Prize or the Pulitzer Prize for journalism, I would not recommend what I'm about to share. The problem is that most entrepreneurs that want a book to build their brand, build their credibility, build their thought leadership, they are also thinking about everything they've heard about book writing. And they're imagining a cabin in Maine because they heard that's what Stephen King does. And they're imagining spending two years on research because that's what they've seen Brene Brown do. And they're imagining all these things and they all get mushed together of what does it mean to be an author? So I want to offer a little liberation and say, there are lots of ways to be an author. At some, time, at some point, someone asked me, um, what do you think of writing an ebook? I'm like, I don't really know what that is. Everything's an ebook. Like, it's just 
what <laughs> you're just an author. If you write a book and you publish it, you're an author. Those are all the steps. And that might look like a 12 page children's book with the letters of the alphabet. And that might look like something that does take two or three years to do research and quantitative analysis. And, and those are good books too. I published my dissertation. It took me five years to write. But if you want to build your authority, and of course that comes from the same root, root word as author, if you want mm -hmm. to build your authority, you should write about what you talk about all the time. So that's the first tip. Now you need to organize those thoughts, but if you actually look back, there are probably 10 things that you always come back to saying. And you know, you probably think about your uncle at the holidays and you're like, oh, he's telling that story again. That goes in your uncle's book. So what are the stories you always tell? What are the studies you always cite to your clients? If you're like, hey, people get 70% uh, of their sales close on the follow-up. There was a study that the Harvard Business Review did that said most money is left on the table. Great, let's put that into it. So the stuff you're always saying, the stories you're always telling, the stats you're always giving. Uh, one of the stats that I always talk about is the New York Times study that said 91% of people want to write a book and 3% get it done. So that would go in my book because I talk about it all the time. So I have a, an exercise called the book basket where without thinking about where it goes or what's your book about or what's the title of your book, we just do a brain dump on what are the things you always say. It always comes back to these main points. And if you are an expert and you've been doing what you do for five to 10 years, at least, there are things you always say. So, yeah. so that's the first part of it is do, you don't need to reinvent other stuff. You, everyone says to me, I want to interview a hundred dentists. I want to interview a hundred moms. I want to, you don't need to interview a hundred people. <laughs> like, that's a different <laughs> right. thing. It's a content analysis. It's interesting, but we don't, you're not getting a PhD. That's not what we're doing here. We're getting clients, we're getting speaking engagements, we're getting TV appearances. So that's the first step. And I can talk through some of the other steps or if yeah, you Yeah, I would love to. And you know, one of the things you just said, which I feel like many aspiring authors cower at is I'm not an expert. You know, so-and-so is more well-known than me, or they already wrote a book in this field. How could I be as good as that person? So how do you help them dispel this myth that, you know, an expert doesn't necessarily mean the only person who can speak on that topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question so much. So there's a study <laughs> that, <laughs> since we're going to go that route, uh, there's a study that says when there's a job listing that most white men, if they hit about 30% of the items on the checklist in that job listing and the job looks interesting, they'll apply for the job. But for women and for people of color and people with physical differences, if they do not have all 100% of everything in that job. Like it might say three years of experience with Microsoft Word and they're like, oh, I only have two years. They <laughs> apply. 
And we so often as women and, and other marginalized communities, we will take ourselves out of the running. So this question about, am I an expert almost always comes to me from people who get messages from the media, from families, from churches, that you need to be 10 times better than anyone else to be considered an expert. And it's interesting to observe who does not get that message. <laughs> so whatever your book is about, I encourage you to go get some books from other authors and see just how bad some of their ideas are. So, <laughs> I worked. That's a great homework assignment, by the way. Yeah, it's like, oh, there are some good ideas here, but I have better ideas than this. I had this breakthrough. I worked for a company doing content marketing. It was a software company and they sent me to this. I was so excited. It was in uh, maybe like 2008 or something. Uh, It was called the Word of Mouth Marketing Conference. And it was about this thing called social media. We didn't know what it was, but it was going to have word of mouth marketing in it. And I was so excited to go. And then everything the speaker said was what I had been doing. Like I had been doing blog marketing and developing authors to write custom blogs and the company did video embedding. So we would put videos onto blogs. And this was, we launched the same month as YouTube. YouTube did better than us. But I was already doing more than the speakers were. And the speakers were sharing these random ideas that I was like, I could give any of these speeches. So Uh, In my book, The Incubated Author, I say you have to anoint yourself as the expert. And if anybody ever annoys you at work or just colleagues where you're like, are they really teaching that dumb thing? If you've ever had that thought, you are officially an expert. Anoint yourself. Because if you can critique anyone, that is the qualification. If you've got a critique for how someone organizes their bookshelf, you are officially an expert bookshelf organizer. And, you know, I think it's interesting because in the world of experts, right, I think in in the progression of learning, the thing that used to be hard for us, which is easy now, we discount that. Like, well, everybody knows that now. Well, at one point, you didn't know that, or I didn't know that. And so there are people out there who still don't know that thing that we find so simplistic now. So uh, I think that's- And write your book for the people behind you. So my books are for first time nonfiction authors. That's who I write for. But one of my best friends, weirdly, is Marianne Williamson. Very strange COVID story. And she was just- writing a book. She just finished, just turned in a manuscript. And I hung out with her while she was writing. I talked to her as a friend. I read her chapters, but at no point did I say to a seven-time New York Times bestselling author who's had four number one New York Times bestsellers, who's like one of, has one of the best-selling books of all time with a return to love. I never said like, hey, read my book. I think you'll get some good ideas on how to write your 15th book. Like, right. <laughs> so my books are not for her. I don't think she should read them, but they are for someone out there who has never written a book. They're a 
mid-level marketing director. They really want to have their own consulting company and they want to figure out a way to get their ideas on paper so they can be booked as a conference speaker and get clients. That's who my book is for. So have a specific targeted reader in mind when you write and don't overshoot like what you aren't an expert on. You're not right. teaching James Patterson how to write a book. Right. So. I love that. And and it is thinking about your former self a lot of times and how you can help that former self. Like, I wish I would have had this book 10 years ago, for example, then write that book because there are people where you were 10 years ago today and you can help those people. And likely they will get a lot out of it. And you're right. It's if you were trying to market those books, which you wrote for coming up on first time authors, and you were out there trying to market it to multi multi book authors or award winning authors, you would sell no books because they think this is so elementary. So it's understanding your niche and where you are trying to um, help and not beating yourself up. If your book's not selling, maybe you're marketing it to the wrong people. I, I often say as well. So one, for of my, one of my favorite reviews that I've ever gotten is a one-star review on Amazon okay. for my book, The Difference, 10 Steps to Write a Book That Matters. And the woman reviewed me and said, there is not a single word in here about how to write a fiction book. And I was like, that is correct. I am not an expert. There is not. That's why the flap cover copy explained that it was for nonfiction. Like, so I actually love somebody who doesn't think I'm an expert in a thing I'm not an expert in. Like That is so. funny. That's good. I love that you can appreciate a one-star review. Most of us cringe, but it's good. And, and it means she read the book. So, hey, it was a she reader. read the book. It wasn't for her. It really wasn't. So when you have that confidence, like I'm super confident in what I know, but I'm equally confident in what I don't know. I will give you no basketball advice ever. <laughs> and if somebody tells me you're a terrible basketball coach I'm not like hurt and offended I don't show up to my coach and say I have imposter syndrome I don't even think about it, it takes up no space in my brain if somebody tells me I'm not good at teaching basketball so right. that's how I think you should think about yours not you but as a yeah, listener, no exactly you think about yourself what is it, it could be a tiny little area but what's the thing that you could help someone with, even if it's one person, and focus on that, where you can be an expert, not on where you can't be. We could all spend all day on where we're not. I'm not an expert in brain surgery. Like, we're all not experts on many things, but own what you own. You right. work for it. So going back to some of the steps to write a book quickly, and we talked about your strategy to do the book basket and basically dump everything that you know into a basket of ideas and think about those questions and those stories that you're always repeating or this, the reports or the statistics that you always cite. What's the next thing that you feel someone should do to sort of get that book put together in a manner that's quick and easy? Yes. So I then transfer all the book uh, basket ideas on to post-it notes and I just start rearranging them. I love to do it on a wall or on some windows and just seeing which ones are related. Generally, if you can get 30 to 100 items into your book basket, just little short phrases, the Harvard Business Review study on applying for jobs. 
And you just put those ideas on a wall and start grouping them. Those groups evolve naturally into chapters. And mm. so you could have something like three to five of those little sticky notes. We call them slugs. It's a journalism term. Um, so we, three to three, three to five in each chapter of these little slugs and see if you can get 10 to 20 chapters from your 30 to 100 slugs and just start breaking them down. And then for each chapter, it's like English class, um, for each of those chapters, once you see those categories, I have my authors, this is before they think about what their book is about, before they write a title, before anything, look at those little sticky notes, see if there's any missing that you're like, oh, if I was talking about apples and oranges, I would probably also talk about bananas. So add that one on there. And then you write a main topic sentence and we call those purpose statements. So what is the purpose of having this chapter in the book? And so we switch uh, uh, post-it note colors and we might have like all yellow post-it notes for our slugs. And then we'll switch over to blue and we'll write our purpose statements. And now each chapter has a one sentence purpose statement and three to five items where we're gonna defeat the blank page when we go to write. And then we move over into writing. And when we write, I use um, another high school English teacher technique, which is called the timed test. So you'll remember writing essays in school and maybe your teacher gave you 50 minutes to write an essay. And you didn't write the best essay you could on Hamlet. You wrote the best essay you could in 50 minutes. That's what the teacher was testing. How, how well had you absorbed that information? So since this is your content and you know it, I like to approach book writing as a time test with two hours per chapter. You know the point of the chapter and you know the points you're going to make, those slugs. Now set a timer for two hours and your goal is not to write the best chapter, but the best chapter you can write in two hours. Mm. Once you get to the end of the book, so let's just say you had for easy math, you have 10 chapters, two hours per chapter. You have the world's crappiest draft in 20 hours of writing. <laughs> you can That's that, a way to look at it. Yeah. You could do that, you know, two hours a week for 10 weeks. But pretty quickly, as quickly as possible, get that whole first draft done. No going back and editing. I actually give my authors tattoos that say, keep writing forward. And then we repeat that process six times, two hours per chapter on the edits. Make each chapter better, but time box it. Two hours. You don't have all the time in the world to edit chapter one. You've got two hours and then you got to move on to chapter two. So if you want to stop before six edits, if you think it's ready to go to proofreading, you can always stop sooner. But what I find is really helpful about telling yourself you have six iterations is that little gremlin that says this isn't good enough. If you have planned to do six rounds of edits, then you just tell your gremlin, oh, this is just this edit. I have another one coming right. and it, it can keep your brain calm. So you're not operating from your amygdala. You're not pumped with cortisol and you can stay more in that right brain. Your GABA receptors can work. 
you're moving more in the flow and in the harmony, you'll get better ideas. And most of my authors only need three rounds of edits. I love that. But eat right till the end. I'm like, if you need another round of edits, you'll just take another round of edits. Like if you need another round, you'll take another round. And it just calms the brain and you can easily get your book done. We have many authors who do their first draft in three days and they can get through all six rounds of edits in eight weeks before we go to proofreading and design and all that stuff. Time boxing it, no more than two hours, get all the way to the end. And there's a bunch of science behind that, um, why that works both as a productivity strategy, but also a creativity strategy. I love it. And it makes it feel doable because as you said, you're not looking at the computer with a blank screen and a bunch of jumbled ideas in your head. You know where you're going from the get-go. You've organized the ideas, you know what you're tackling. So in the process of going through these rounds of editing, are they doing their own editing or do they have an, an editor, a second set of eyes that are looking? What's your recommendation? Yeah, with our process, they do their own editing first. Uh, I'm sorry, they do their uh, first draft first. So they get through that, what we call a shitty rough draft. Yeah. And then they get assigned an editor mm-hmm. and they do all those up to six revisions with their editor. So their mm-hmm. editor reads the chapter, gives them feedback, gives them ideas, sends them a way to do it. Then they go spend two hours, send it back to their editor. And like I said, usually by the third try, the editor's like, yep, we're done. This is good. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And, you know, in the world of distractions, which we all live in now, where it's check the phone and I got to go grab some more water and know the dog is barking and know the phone rang, you know, being able to say, I got to shut the world out for two hours and I'm setting the timer. You know, that's how there's, there are a lot of studies on flow and getting into that flow. And all of a sudden the time is up and all of your, your content is out. And it's a feeling of accomplishment. Like if, as you said, if 91% of people want to write a book and only 3% do, why? Maybe it's Yeah. Different. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they write a chapter until that chapter is perfect. So they mm-hmm. might spend 20 hours on a chapter. Then they move on to chapter two, 20 hours later, they're a different person. They've gone to a different conference. They met you on a Facebook forum. They listened to this podcast. Now they have all new ideas. They write chapter two and they're like, "Eh, now I got to go back and change chapter one. I just realized this whole thing is going to have a bird theme throughout it. So they finish chapter two and they go back to chapter one and spend another 20 hours in chapter one. And then when they get to chapter three, they come up with another idea. And then they're like, why am I even writing this book? Right. They've got 20 pages of a manuscript that's unfinished on their computer. So you got to get through that first draft as fast as you can. The key to everything Anne Lamont talks about it as a shitty first draft in her book, Bird by Bird. I hope you've read Bird by Bird. Yes. Amazing. If you are listening, you haven't read that one, just fall asleep to it. Get the audio book and just nap with it. It'll make you a better writer. Um, But that there's never, ever, ever been a book written, been a book published that did not have a first draft. Hmm. Getting to the end of that without, I recommend not having an editor on that first draft so your voice really comes through mm-hmm. and then get an editor involved once you know what you're trying to say. Another hack I use for my authors, this one's super fun. 
instead of writing the chapters in your first draft, imagine it as if you were telling your editor what in the future is going to be in this chapter. Oh. So in chapter three, I'm going to say something about the price of tea in China. So I'm going to talk about China. I'm going to talk about tea. I'm going to talk about pricing. And then I'm just going to sum it up by saying this is the price of tea in China. And if you spend two hours giving your editor a rough idea of what you might do in that chapter, you'll have an amazing draft chapter. <laughs> I love that. That's a great idea. And it kind of gets you out of your own way by thinking of it that way. It kind of takes the pressure off. As you said, you're not all ramped up with all the, you know, brain chemicals that are making you crazy. You're saying, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just kind of saying like, this is the general idea of where I'm heading and mm -hmm. it, I can polish it up later. It's like cleaning your house. Like just clear off all the junk off the counters first and don't worry about trying to like scrub the grout or something. I mean, give me right. a break or hire someone to do that, but that's yeah. where the other comes in. But so you know, in the process of writing and, you know, we've, we've touched on, you know, demystifying the expert status and that you are an expert in the area that you specialize in. And that's okay that you can help people that other people can't. And it's okay that there are others ahead of you. We're not talking about our book serving those people. Now we've talked about how to kind of get that shitty first draft done and how to polish and refine and get that process done, but let's pretend fast forward to, I've got my manuscript done. I've got a proofread. It's meant to kind of help me grow my business. I can see this as a tool. What are some of the things that you recommend that an author do with a book? Once the book is done. Yeah. Like how, you know, we all have ideas of, um, you know, I want to use my book to be a public or get booked at a conference or X, Y, Z, whatever. So what do you think are some of the, the like advanced strategies that an author can use for helping their book support their business? Yep, we have three main ones that we teach. Now compare that to John Kramer's 1001 Ways to Market Your Book. Uh, there are obviously many, many more ways, but we focus on these three. So um, the first one is getting speaking engagements. And I, with my authors, because they are selling, consulting, coaching, doctoring, dentisting, whatever they're selling in their business, I recommend that they focus on free speaking engagements. Right where they're not paid or maybe paid a small honorarium, but then they know they're going to pick up clients by being a part of that. So really focusing on where are your ideal clients. And then one of the tricks that we use is sending two copies to mm -hmm. anyone who you want to book you as a speaker. The reason why this is so powerful is people hate throwing out books, bless their hearts, me too. Yeah. And so if they have two books, they don't want to put two on the shelf of the same book. So they have to read the back cover copy in order to figure out who to give the other copy to. And people love giving books away because it makes them feel benevolent, like they're giving a gift to someone, but they have to know who to give it to. So they're like, oh, a book about... Um, I don't know, uh, let's say it's a book about endometriosis. 
let me give that to my niece. I know she's been struggling with endometriosis. Now they know what the book is about. And they're not going to say this is a crappy book. They're going to say, oh, I just got this book. This woman looks really interesting. It looks like she's an endometriosis expert. I thought you might like it. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they know who you are and they're much more likely to book you as a speaker. So that's one of our little hacks. Um, the other thing is setting the right expectations. So what a lot of authors do is they'll spend oh, 300 bucks or something to sign up for an online speakers bureau. As long as you expect to get no speaking engagements from that, and you would rather donate $300 to them rather than a charity. Great. But that is not what's going to get you speaking gigs. Right. Yeah. So, so sorry. What's going to get you speaking gigs is making a list of places and reaching out to them personally. Not even your assistant at the beginning. At the beginning, it should be you um, until you've done your first 10 speeches at least. So um, make it easy on yourself. Reach out to every single gym or reach out to every single spa or reach out to every women's boutique or reach out to every family lawyer within 200 miles. Um, but kind of go down in categories and see if you can help help them serve their customers. So that's path number one. Path number two, which is how I have made about 40 $2 million now in my business is something called a book funnel. So we run ads on multiple platforms to give my book away. Sometimes you'll see funnels that are free, but you pay for shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tested that, but for me, I get more clients by just making it a digital copy that's free um, rather than dealing with logistics, but it's different industry to industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give my book away for free and then I follow up with a training and then I follow up the training with an invitation to submit their book idea. And then we review submissions and talk to authors and that's how we get our clients. So that yeah. is a book funnel, uh, which is an advertising approach. Um, costs us about $70 to give a book away. And so you have to be prepared that you're not going to make money on the book sales. We're not trying to do it profitably. Um, And there are some ways to do it now with Amazon ads that are pretty interesting. So you can use that look inside feature and put your offer near the beginning, like your offer for the free class near the beginning. So when you run the ads on Amazon, sometimes people don't even buy the book. I drop my book price to 99 cents and I'll do like a countdown deal. I'll run seven days of ads and then take people to the page. But a lot of times they'll just do look inside and see the free class. So I get more leads than book sales. (laughs) Interesting. And then our third path is the media path. And that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, So that's getting on podcasts and TV shows, news shows, and using your book. Um, We create for all of our authors a one sheet with their bio, a description of their book, some questions a newscaster or podcaster can ask them, Um, and really using that book to position you as an expert for the right media outlets and then let the media use you to get the word out. 
So we also do all the organic strategies, but what I found is most people spend a lot of time making content for no people. So the number one thing I teach my audience is get in front of other people's audiences. Right. Right. And you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll confess something of former error of mine, which is when I did my first book in 2012 and I was a life coach at the time. And I was guest producing this XM radio show for my life coach mentor, who I took all my classes from. And he had said, you know, could you book these guests? And, you know, I learned a lot about media, how to reach out to people, how to book them, that people are reachable. And for those of you who are thinking like, well, I don't know anyone with a podcast or I don't know how to book. All you have to do is find the contact page and submit it. And most people are happy to have you on. You know, I, when people would email me directly, I was so happy that I have to chase people down to book them for the segments. But anyways, uh, my, my previous, while I was trying to build this life coaching business before my book, I, all I heard was you need to blog. So I was painstakingly blogging on my own website with no traffic, you know, great blog posts. Like if I write one more blog, maybe they'll come, you know, but I didn't know that it's good to go show up where other people are mm-hmm. so if you're thinking about starting your own blog. Maybe instead do a blog tour, go down. Yes. I love that idea. Yeah. Or if you want to start a podcast, maybe you want to just go be a guest on people's podcasts who already have audiences. So there's a lot of ways to go about getting in front of other people and all of the strategies you just shared from, you know, speaking, I think being in person, especially now, um, most of us are so burned out with Zooms, especially online summits and all that. It's like, I am not going to sit in front of the computer all day listening to some online summit, please. But if I could go meet people in person, you know, if you could book some speaking gigs at your local library or at your local gyms, like you said, I think people are hungry for a personal interaction today as well. So I love the book funnel idea. Of course, um, I'm a fan of Russell Brunson, who started ClickFunnels, and I've been Mm -hmm. to some of his events. But um, yeah, look into book funnels as well. I think that's such a smart strategy. And especially understanding the steps of the process for a new author, like what it's the book is the bait, essentially, and then what are the ways they can do deeper work with you. So genius ideas, I think that's really valuable for anyone listening who's got a book and they're not really sure how to market it, how to grow their brand with it. They had these big ideas and visions of what they were supposed to do and how it was supposed to be this expert building endeavor and now it's sitting there with no sales and no eyes and they're wondering why did I spend my time and my money doing this yeah yeah and look that does also come down to writing the right book ah it's a good place for us to tie this all up so let's talk about writing the right book what are your ideas about that I have found that when someone has a profound personal experience maybe child dies, they go through a difficult divorce, they uh, move to a foreign country and go through culture shock, that that very important personal experience registers in many people's brains as this would be a good book. 
Mm-hmm. Somehow we've gotten in our culture a when we tell a story. So then we moved here and that house had no roof and we had to move here and we'll tell this harrowing story in our life as just like a little bit of small talk. Someone will say, you should write a book about that. Yeah. And we'll get it in our head. This is what I need to do. I need to tell my story about my terrible husband. I have many midlife crisis. Like I left everything. I did ayahuasca in Tulum. And then I broke up with my husband. These are personal stories meant for journaling. Now, if this happened to Beyonce and she wanted to write it, we for sure could sell her book on any of these topics. But you, my friend, it's a no. So if you wrote a book about adopting a child or losing a parent or finding your North Star in the desert alone, any of my marketing ideas will not work. Because those books are not designed to get you clients. They are designed as a personal, beautiful experience of catharsis. Your hero's journey matters. It's important. If you get value from writing about it, I encourage you to write about it. But now don't expect that you are going to have the results that Elizabeth Gilbert had with Eat, Pray, Love. Elizabeth Gilbert had 20 years of writing experience. And she was writing that as a literary, a piece of literature, very intentionally, and hit the lottery on top of it. So number one, you're not as good of a writer as she is. You don't have the experience she has, and you're not going to get it because you had a midlife crisis. And number two, you're not going to win the lottery. I mean, if you do, great, but let's not be upset if you don't. Let's be delighted if you do. So write a book that shows off your expertise and what you can do for someone else. Your personal journey can be in there for sure. It should be a chapter or paragraphs throughout, like 10 paragraphs maximum about you. People care about themselves, their problems, their business problems. Everyone is tuned into what's in it for me radio and not let me hear a story about some obscure person's difficult experience. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news there. (laughs) That's what I got. Well, and, and you're right. It's we read for entertainment, which is all the fiction that people consume today and for information to improve our lives. And so if the um, the story about someone I don't know and their difficulties um, doesn't relate to me, if the author doesn't turn that around into now, how can I apply that for my own life? Then I basically don't care. Which Unless you're an amazing writer. like Which sounds pretty selfish and self-centered, but time is the only thing yeah. that we have. And it's the way we choose to spend it is I want to escape my life and be entertained and be, you know, in that world of, you know, fiction, like we've talked about and reading Harry Potter or whatever, if that's your thing, or yeah, how am I going to improve my business? I don't want to hear about, you know, how someone failed 18 times until they got their golden idea. I want to know, like, what are all the lessons you learned failing 18 times so I can avoid that and then 
you know, not have to suffer so much. <laughs> and I do think people like fancy themselves writers. Mm. And so like, I will get submissions all the time. That's like, I've been writing since I was seven. And my English teacher always told me I was a great writer. So if you are writing because you believe you are a good writer, I want you to take that very seriously. You should study. You should be writing regularly. Your first book should not be the first thing you write. You should submit short stories. You should submit to magazines. You should improve your craft by taking classes and workshops. If you are writing to get speaking engagements and clients, we can have editors clean that up. Yeah. But if you are writing as an art form, like 10,000 hours, my friend, before you get to write a book. You know, it's a great, it's great. And, and just to reiterate earlier, it's relieving the pressure valve a little bit. Like let, let the pressure rise off of your shoulders and say, I don't have to be, I'm not looking to win the Pulitzer Prize. I'm just looking to get some speaking engagements and get some new clients and establish myself as a business leader in my industry or whatever. Um, and yeah, let the editorial team do their work and clean it up. And you don't need to spend 10,000 hours taking writing classes and picking the exact right adverb, you know, that is pointlessly not going to help you. So unless that is your career, if you are an artist, career. Yes. I support that. But just don't yeah. think people, Elizabeth Gilbert didn't sit down one day, tell a story about her trip to Italy and Indonesia and India and make millions of dollars. She studied the craft of writing for decades. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's where she, is, where she is. Exactly. So, so let's just Talk, touch a little bit on the author incubator and what you do. And you've been in this for so long and you've got so much experience and so many authors who sing your praises. So what is really the driving force in this service behind the author incubator and what you do? Well, yeah. So I've been in publishing since 1994, coming up on 30. Insane because I'm looking at you I'm like, how did you start publishing when you were in high school? I mean, I was my senior year of college. I got a job for a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, it was my first job. And for 17 years, I just bounced from author to author through word of mouth. Um, and then started the author incubator because I went to a memoir writing workshop with Martha Beck, who is my coach trainer. And there were 24 coaches and three presenters at that event. And to the 23 other coaches, other than me, plus two of the presenters, including Martha Beck, all hired me at that event. Okay. And they begged me to teach them how I was generating um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales from books for my clients. So I was doing about 1,900 downloads of uh, technology books um, from one of my clients. And so I taught these coaches how to get downloads of a book and turn them into leads like I was doing for my clients at the time. And I did it as a side hustle for three years. And then finally it took over my life and I didn't get fired, but I probably should have. I used that copier at work a lot, <laughs> copying a lot of worksheets. 
uh, illegally. So, um, so yeah, so what the author incubator does is we go from idea to bestseller. It is a true incubator. We spend five to six months with our authors working one-on-one um, and we have a community as well so they can meet other authors and partner with them and do events and book signings together. And we help them to figure out what is the right book that's going to get me the clients or the speaking engagements or the podcasts. Then we write it with them. We have editors, designers, proofreaders that have been with us for almost a decade at this point. And then we go into the marketing and we do all of the marketing for our authors. We get them that bestseller status. We help create their marketing materials with them. And um, yeah, and then launch them in the world as a best-selling author. So it's super fun. Uh, boutique shop. We, um, our editors usually, uh, everybody works with me and then the editors do the line edit. So they'll work with about five authors at a time. We've got four editors on our team and we try and keep it small and go deep and produce some really good books. So we're up to about 1800 books now, which is amazing. amazing. Congratulations. You know, it's fun for me as a, as in, on the new, the new end of publishing, you know, having done my own books, um, previous to starting O'Leary Publishing, you know, it's always fun and exciting to connect with people who are doing what I love to do as well, and to see where it can take you, where it can take your authors, and to really gain, you know, a new friend in the industry, and a, a lot of great ideas, you know, we're all out here trying to help authors to grow their brand, to share their expertise, to uh, make, make something valuable of all of the things that they've been through, and help other people ultimately. Um, so it's been great to connect with you today. I encourage anyone who's listening to check out Dr. Angela and what she's doing at the Author Incubator. See if that's a place that you might fit in the publishing industry. I do believe that if you have a book in mind, there is a publisher for every author out there. Um, you just have to kind of turn over a lot of stones and figure out what's the right fit for you. I so. love this point, April. And I think it's really important for listeners to really get this, that there is no one right way to publish. Just like we said before about there is no one right way to be an author. Like, I hope you won't be sad if I say this, but you are not the world's best author for illustrated children's books. Someone is going to be better than you out there. <laughs> I, I have referred out plenty of children's me books. Me too. I love having... Can I be publishing children's books? <laughs> right. So it's like there, there is a lid for every pot. And understanding those options, you know, there's um, a lot of the traditional publishers partner with what used to be vanity presses, where you can send your manuscript in with some money, you could literally publish the phone book, they will typeset it and lay it out like that is a great option if you've got a good book strategy. If you don't have a strategy, you need a strategist. If you've got a great manuscript and had a great book coach, you need, a, could be a hybrid publisher, or maybe you want to self-publish. It depends on your budget. It depends on your goals. If you just had a viral video on TikTok with 3 million subscribers, that's a great time to get a traditional deal. Sign it right now. Let's go. And so working with a literary agent could be a good fit. So there is no right or wrong way to do this, but if you are thinking about writing a book, it is your job to educate yourself on the options. 
So I, I try and do that. I love that you're out here doing that because that's the key to people being happy. And I will tell you, most people are not happy with their publishing experience. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, one of the examples I use a lot around here on the show, especially is, you know, we're all familiar with buying a car and we all know that when you go to a car lot, you got to understand what your budget is. You got to understand what kind of car you want, what kind of, you know, do you want a small sports car? Do you want a big SUV? Do you have a bunch of kids and you need a minivan? If you have five kids, they're not going to sell you on a sports car because you need more room. So understand what it is you want what your budget is, and then go shopping around and look at different car lots, different publisher websites, talk to the people who have worked with them, really understand, you know, do you want to try to work with a literary agent to get that traditional deal? Do you want to just own the rights to your book where you can use it and structure the book funnel so you are using it to build your brand? It's a totally different experience, even though the vehicle, the book is the same. Yeah. So, I don't think people know that. And we do know a sports car is great. A minivan's great. They have different purposes, but we don't realize self-publishing is great. Hybrid publishing is great. There's lots of kinds of hybrid publishing. Many of them are great. Traditional publishing can be great. It's not about like the category. It's about you knowing what you're buying. Yeah. You're going to be really sad if you thought you bought a minivan and you got a sports car. Doesn't matter right. if it's a Lamborghini, you're still not going to be able to fit the five kids in it. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that's where I think the education is so important. And it's something to think about that when you're in the process of thinking about an idea that you have, an expertise you have, a book you want to write, don't be afraid to talk to a bunch of different publishers or a bunch of different authors that maybe you know in your network. And did they like their publisher? And would they do it again? And what mistakes did they make? And what things did they do well? Um, because I really think at the end of the day, between authors and publishers, you know, we're all on the same team. And so everybody here, you know, in my experience, is just trying to help one another get the best experience possible. So I'm, I congratulate you again on the 1800 books you published, like, holy crap, it's mind boggling. You know, I wonder if by the time I hit that number, if I'll be still wanting to do this, or I'll be six feet under, I don't know. But, um, but you know, it's been lovely connecting with you today. Thank you so much, Dr. Angela. And be Absolutely. sure to- and I was going to say, and if people do want to check out a little more of my work, if you go to five day it's the number five, five day book launch. I do a free coaching week every once in a while. So you can see if I've got one going on, sign up and we'll work together for a week on what your book and your publishing strategy should be. I love that. I will put that link in the show notes. Thank you again. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Be sure to check out Dr. Angela. And we both encourage you to take action and get your book done, however you choose to do so. Thank you for being here and we're signing off. Bye now. Bye. And that concludes today's episode of the I'm Book Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Angela, for visiting with us. To connect with her online, go to theauthorincubator.com. And to connect with us, be sure to hop on over to o'learypublishing.com where you can download our free publishing guide called The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing. We look forward to working with you and helping you get your word, your message, your vision out into the world. Have an amazing day.